The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. From Perth, this is the Gadea Mining Podcast, or GEM for short, and I'm your Australian-American host, Peter Morris. This is a podcast that bridges the Pacific, focusing on the two countries where most mining exploration companies are listed, Australia and Canada, taking you from Hay Street to Bay Street and Ord to Burrard. The world depends on discoveries by exploration companies in these countries to achieve the energy transition targets. The role is critical, and these are their stories. In particular, I want to unearth explorers whose potential has been missed. We're in the middle of a podcast series covering lithium, but we're taking a slight detour. Last time I interviewed Lindsay Dudfield from Jindalee, whose main lithium prospect is located in the McDermott Caldera, which straddles the Nevada-Oregon state line. In this episode, we are staying in the McDermott Caldera, shifting a few kilometers to the east, talking to Greg Cochran from Aurora Energy Metals, who is targeting primarily uranium and secondarily lithium. So why should you care about uranium in general and then specifically uranium in the United States? First, demand for nuclear energy is poised to grow. For example, China, which has the third largest nuclear fleet, aims to more than double its nuclear capacity to 120 gigawatts by 2030. Japan, which has the fourth largest fleet, has committed to restarting its reactors, and there are many new countries adding reactors. Finally, operating lives for existing reactors are being extended, and new reactors should more than offset close. Second, the U.S. operates the largest reactor fleet in the world with almost a quarter of the world's installed capacity of over 400 gigawatts. The U.S. is also at the forefront of the development of small modular reactors, SMRs, that could transform the industry. Based on SMRs, the Department of Energy has talked about tripling nuclear capacity in the United States. Meanwhile, supply from mines has been weak due to the prolonged period of low uranium prices, which has drained secondary supplies. In fact, the current uranium spot price in the high 50s is below the estimated marginal cost. As a result, mines have been curtailed and some have been mothballed for a number of years. Other factors serve as near-term catalysts. Above-ground inventories are being purchased and held by investment funds. This has soaked up excess inventories. So far, funds have purchased more than 80 million pounds of uranium, which is staggering at more than half of the annual mine supply, and more funds are on the way. The combination of growing demand and diminishing supply is expected to lead to substantial deficits. The United States is a big contributor to this deficit. It produces a negligible amount of uranium in contrast to 50 years ago when it was able to meet its own demand with domestic production. Now it relies on countries like Kazakhstan, Russia, and Uzbekistan that may be unreliable. So why should you care about Aurora Energy Metals? And where does Aurora, an advanced stage uranium explorer with a free option on lithium, fit in all this? It has the largest mineable measured and indicated uranium resource in the United States and has a clear pathway to development. 
So let's dig in. Greg Cochran, who is Aurora's Managing Director, is here to tell us more. Thank you, Greg, for being on the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, nice to be able to get the opportunity to uh, speak about Aurora. We just met, but I was intrigued by Aurora when I first heard about it more than six months ago. And I think there are two things about your background that are striking. First, you have 30 years of experience in the industry, including since as a leader at two of the top uranium companies, Uranium One and Deep Yellow. Second, your skills seem tailored to this opportunity. As a mining engineer, you're focused on building mines, whilst your corporate development experience, having led the team that delivered the largest transaction in the uranium sector, positions you to take full advantage of both the company's value drivers, namely uranium and lithium. Please tell us more about yourself and the company. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, look, uh, I jokingly, I guess, somewhat uh, refer to myself as a lapsed mining engineer, I guess mainly because, you know, you tend to lose touch with the finer technical detail as you move and get more engaged in executive leadership roles. You really do need to become more of a generalist. And so that corporate development experience allied with that early part of my career as a mining engineer certainly helped and helped in particular with with things like those transactions that we conducted in the Uranium One days. As far as Aurora is concerned, it's a fascinating opportunity for me. Um, Not only um, is it this very well-defined uranium deposit in the U.S., and as you've rightly said, you know, the U.S. nowadays is unapologetically pushing its nuclear power strategy. But of course, it also we've got this lithium blue sky potential as well. But it's not just, uh, you know, notionally blue sky potential. We've intersected lithium on you know, more than 30 holes that we've drilled historically whilst looking for uranium. So it's also a very real part of the story. So you've been in the industry for over 30 years, and there are very few people with the perspective that this experience brings. You've called uranium, the current situation, a revival. What is your outlook, and how do you and Aurora take advantage of this outlook? Yeah, it certainly is a a renaissance that that I haven't witnessed before. I've I've been in many industries. uh, I've spent a long time in in uranium, but in others as well. And I've seen cycles um, from boom to bust and back to boom again in many other industries. And I like to apply and see people apply what they've learned in other industries to the industries in which they're currently operating. I think that's valid for uranium and for nuclear as well. And sometimes I actually even, funny enough, see commonalities with uranium and and lithium in terms of the opaque nature of the market. The growth outlook is certainly uh, fantastic. Um, You know, more and more countries are turning to nuclear the good news story, the momentum is just building. I mean, just in the last week and a half or so, we've had Sweden, for example, overturning their long-held policy of um, renewables. And unlike the Germans who have stuck to that policy, um, in Sweden, they've said, no, we're throwing out the concept of exclusively renewables Um, we have a net zero policy, not a renewables policy. And so that opens the door for them 
to build more nuclear. Interestingly enough, also the Spanish opposition party, uh, which is way ahead in the polls, um, and I think the election is later this year, um, it, it, you know, one of their tickets is extending the life of their nuclear plants, uh, whereas the current policy in Spain is to shut them down. So that's fantastic, and it's just evidence of globally what's happening in, in nuclear, um, but specifically then bringing it home for us. In the U.S., for example, you've got Votal 3, which is um, now generating full power, and Votal 4, which will soon be fully commissioned and operating as well. So, they're the first two nuclear reactors to, uh, you know, to be switched on in decades in the U.S. And, of course, you've mentioned the SMR research. So, you've got this bipartisan support for nuclear throughout the U.S., which already is the largest uranium consumer without uranium production. It's a great opportunity for us. Well, it just seems like there are other places as well that you haven't mentioned. Poland is looking at building new reactors. What surprised me a little bit in the U.S. is the extension of Diablo Canyon a few years ago in Northern California. It just seems like things have switched and there are many different parts of the world that are looking at it. Turkey turned on a new reactor. It seems like a very interesting time in the industry where people are refocusing on the opportunity and given the current geopolitical environment it's important to have reliable supplies and uranium is one of those and that the nuclear reactors can operate consistently provide baseload power and really underpin the electrical system for these countries yeah and it's not just also about electricity per se it's it's heat is another dimension to nuclear and of course footprint you know, um, I, I think I remember reading a, an article recently where they said, um, you know, if you needed to supply the U.S. with wind, um, you're talking about 800,000 square miles. If you did that with nuclear, it would be 500 square miles. And, and you know, it's somewhere in between that number in terms of solar as well. And then the, that footprint is a critical aspect of nuclear right from the mining point of view right through to the actual power plant itself the footprint is tiny compared to the amount of mining we need to do construction and the land we absorb in solar power and and wind they both have their applications there's no doubting or disputing that but you know it's we need everything in the mix and uh, the volatility that you get from renewables is really difficult to manage and that means massive investment in your distribution network which is proving unaffordable um, and that's the costings that are not taken into account when people in the cold light of day say oh nuclear is too expensive they've actually missed the point fundamentally in terms of reliable base load, clean, safe power. Well, speaking of development of nuclear, Aurora's uranium resource is well-defined. You have over 600 holes that have been drilled since this discovery was made in the 1970s during the real heyday of development of nuclear power in the U.S. I understand that you have a plan to produce a pre-feasibility study next year. This may be premature, but what are the key milestones that investors should watch over 
say the next 18 months? Yeah, look, um, you know, the, we, we certainly are fortunate in that we've, when I say inherited, I mean, we've paid for it, but we've got the benefit of that huge database um, of holes. You know, the replacement cost of just the drilling alone would be in excess of 100 million US dollars. So that's, that's the value, uh, the, the technical value that we have um, in this, this work that, we, that, we've, that we've acquired. Um, by credible organizations. In fact, it was Placer Amex, which today is part of the original work, the original pre-feasibility study, the original metallurgical test work. So that was great to, to actually benefit from, from that work. And then, you know, more recently, the work that my predecessors in Aurora's predecessor company, which was also listed and which also had a market cap at the time, pre-Fukushima, in excess of $100 million on what was a much smaller resource compared to what we have today. Um, so, you know, so we've got that benefit. We've got a lot of test work as well, test work that was done in 2013 that we've reviewed and we're going to replicate that now in the next few months. So looking forward over the next, call it 18 months to the end of next year, the, the major milestones, <clears throat> step one is scoping level metallurgical test work. And the core is sitting waiting in the US to be transported to Australia, to the lab here, to conduct um, that test work program. And that feeds into a scoping study. And that will take up and absorb most of our energy for the remainder of this year. In addition, we're commencing baseline studies for permitting. Um, for what's called an exploration plan of operations. But that also lays the foundation for your operating permit as well. Um, so that's a very important step. Uh, in fact, our cultural survey is well underway um, this week. Um, we should be wrapping it up by the end of next week. And that's a major part of um, the studies that need to be done. The MET test work will also inform the next phase of metallurgical uh, or drilling to generate metallurgical core and that then next year feeds into the PFS level MET test work and PFS uh, study itself. So it's going to be a, a, a pretty frenetic 18 months to deliver that, that PFS, um, but, but we're certainly well positioned to, to deliver on that. It sounds like important steps will be taken over the next year and a half. In your presentation materials, you show a flow sheet for the way the plant will look, and it looks relatively simple. Deep Yellow has done a feasibility study for a mine in Namibia that looks somewhat similar in terms of the processes. They're looking to spend approximately $352 million to produce 3.6 million pounds per year. So that's a capex of roughly $100 per pound, including for their process a vanadium circuit. This capex per pound is, is roughly in the range for the industry. Are you able to say if you're producing, say, 1.5 to 2 million pounds per year, would your capex be in, call it, 100 million to 200 million range? Yours is a little bit different in that you'll have a conveyor or pipeline from the mine, which is in Oregon, to the plant in Nevada. This may add some cost, but what should we expect in terms of the capex for this project? Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting and also, I guess, a difficult question um, because, uh, you know, the, the plant is the key 
driver of capital costs. Um, interestingly enough, uh, the Deep Yellow work, which is really good because they've got a, a, a very experienced team, um, uh, includes their plant includes a beneficiation step, which is exactly the way we're going as well. So our grade is of the high grade portion of the resource is is somewhat higher um, than Tumas. Um, so it, it, it's difficult though, I, you know, that what will drive our understanding of that component of the costs will be the scoping study. There's, for example, an aspect um, where we can um, not have to build the back end of the plant, um, which is to uh, actually um, strip uranium from the resin, precipitate uranium, precipitate uranium and, then, and then pack it in drums. We could do that via a pre-existing plant elsewhere in the US and there are no restrictions to transporting radioactive materials across the US. It's just a permitting question. Uh, so that's an interesting thing. It might save you on CapEx but then cost you a bit more on OPEX but it may get you into the game sooner. The other thing that is significantly different to many other projects out there is we have a major infrastructure advantage because this was a historical mining region. And so the, the private land in Nevada on the border with Oregon, where we plan to build our plant and, and the tailings dam, it actually has a, hydro, a, a substation on the corner, which is fed by hydroelectricity from Oregon. Oregon is more than 50% hydro. So that's a great success story, number one. Number two, it's clean. Number three, it's very cost effective. So the average price, I think, was something like six and a half US cents per kilowatt hour, which is hard to beat, um, but not only hard to beat, it's the clean green nature of the hydro, which then allows us to, to highlight the, the ESG compelling advantage that this project actually has. By any measure, Aurora's valuation is amongst the lowest of the uranium explorers and developers, especially in the U.S. It's interesting to note the progression when explorers turn into advanced stage developers, there's a massive ramp up in valuation. To what do you attribute the discount to which your stock trades? That's a, an, an, an ongoing, I guess, frustration for, for us and part of the team to, to actually see us languishing despite the, the marketing and, and, and the innate underlying quality of the asset itself. Um, briefly, you know, when we listed in, in May last year, um, this was previously, it was a public unlisted entity that had over 1,200 shareholders that had not been able to trade for effectively almost since, since Fukushima, so at least eight years, but even before that. And so we created this liquidity event for people that were looking to exit anyways that had their own views on nuclear and on uranium. So that's one thing is, is that, you know, we've had dramatic turnover in terms of register, which is a good thing because now we have, um, you know, three or four credible institutions on the register who are biding their time. In addition to that, whilst the IPO was well-timed from a capital-raising point of view, subsequently the uranium market has counterintuitively been, um, you know, it's not performed particularly well and, and, and even market darlings are, are down by, by 50% over that period of time. So we're not alone in that, but we certainly are worse off. And in fact, even the announcement of the upgrade of the resource to make it, you know, the largest mineable measured indicated 
deposit urine deposit in the USA was was met with almost with disinterest, um, you know, and seen as a selling opportunity. So you know, now that we are funded for the scoping study and everything, people also can't turn around and say, "Oh well, you don't have money to do the work." Um, and so now there's only one option for people that want to become part of the story is that's, you know, hop onto the screen and, you know, buy on market because we're taking this this stock somewhere and, and this project is going places. One of the things that seems to invite or excite investors and invite them to buy is lithium. So your property is similar in size to Jindalee's, which has the largest lithium resource in the United States. Your grades for the holes you've drilled are similar to Jindalee's, although you don't have a defined resource there, what are your plans for lithium and will your corporate development experience help in this? Yeah, I think, you know, perhaps that was also one of the reasons why our, you know, the the uranium resource wasn't recognized for what it was, is that we were perhaps seen as neither fish nor fowl. Are you uranium or are you lithium? And so now we, we have upped the ante to make it absolutely clear that we are totally focused and dedicated on this really significant uranium deposit and and progressing this advanced stage asset. So that then begs the question, as you rightly ask, where to with the lithium? And, and yes, my corporate development experience and, and extensive network does come in handy there in that strategically we believe we do want to progress it, but the way to do that preferably would be um, via some form of joint venture or earning. So we attract the funding from another party and would quite comfortably see them earning in on that resource so that we can get the progress, the tangible progress, um, whilst delivering on our uranium strategy at the same time. You know, after all, um, you know, in the case of Jinder Lee, who have done a great job, um, you know, it's taken them five years to get to where they are today. And, you know, for us, it's kind of, well, it may take us five years to do the same in lithium, but in uranium, we're way ahead of the game. And nothing that we're doing in the uranium will compromise the potential of the lithium, seeing they're geologically unrelated. Well, Greg, thanks for being on the podcast. It seems like it's a very interesting story because you have not only the uranium, but also the lithium. And it seems like there's a massive amount of upside to both. So I appreciate your time. Thanks being, for being on the podcast. Pete, my pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I've enjoyed the, you know, the, the exchange and, and some really good questions that got me thinking there. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for listening and look for the next GEM podcast. During the next episodes, we'll return to looking at lithium projects in North America, followed by Europe and concluding with lithium recyclers. In the meantime, follow Stockhead for daily updates on all the key information about the industry.